Thank you for joining me on episode 31 of the Unique On Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Jenneman, just a regular gal trying to help people know how they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. And today I talk with DC Cavender, veteran radio personality for 50 years, and we chat about his unique ear for music, the music industry itself, the Super Bowl halftime show, Christian and secular radio, and how it started and where it's going. Welcome back to the Unique on Purpose podcast, and I'm here today with my boss, DC Cavender. DC. <laughs> okay, before when before I got the job here yeah. at the radio station, you interviewed me, but now I'm. We were yeah, you. we were on the opposite side of these. So, <laughs> but now I'm in the hot seat. Ooh. You are in the hot seat, All so right. I'm going to ask you some tough questions. Good thing we're not live. But I, I wanted I wanted to interview you because I think you have one some unique giftings, but two you also have unique perspectives when it comes to music mm-hmm. and not just music over the broad scale, but Christian music as well because you've been in the radio business for fifty A long years. Time. Yeah, that's <laughs> so we won't say how old you are. Yeah, but, I started when I was five. Yeah. So you've been in the music business for 50 years. You're a husband, you're a father, grandfather. But I want to go back to how you knew you wanted to be in radio. Hmm. It actually started by accident. I mean, I looking back on it, I've, I've always loved music. I can remember, I'm going to really date myself now, I can remember as a child going to my grandmother's house after church and she had, it was either a, a Philco or an RCA 45 turntable. Uh, it was the kind that you have, you see in the old 50s shows where, I mean, it was in the box, the lid came up. Yeah. Had the, it played 45 records. Now, for those who don't know that. Yeah, uh, you'll have to explain that to me. Those were the singles that were sold to people. Uh, they weren't the big full LPs. They were just singles. And there would be A side and B side. What I thought was so cool about it was I loved the music, but number two, I liked watching the record player, it would the arm would come up, it would move over, it would drop the next one down, and then it would bring, come back over, drop the needle, and start playing the song. I thought that was incredible. <laughs> so I would stack up all my grandmother's 45s, and she'd have Harry Como and Frank Sinatra and, and uh, all these classic singers from the 40s, mm-hmm. and I'd listen to all those songs. And people would always say, how do you know all these songs? Being as your age, you don't fit in that demo, but that's how I got started with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in college, uh, a friend of mine worked at the campus radio station. I was actually studying architecture. I thought I wanted oh. to be an architect. The creative side of me yeah. uh, for drawing and artistic, that was Another calling that I thought that I had. But a friend of mine worked at the campus radio station. Again, I always loved music, and I used to go watch him work. I thought it was fascinating. And he came down ill one evening. He was getting the flu, and he was literally going back and forth to the bathroom. This is back in the days when you were on the air, you were on the air. Right. There was no pre recording. There was no pre recording. No, you just, you were there. And so we called the uh, campus advisor and said, hey, uh, this guy is going down. He said, I can't get anybody there for 45 minutes. You're going to have to fill in. So he, there was a little couch in the studio. He laid on the couch, told me what to do, instructed me how to do it. And as he's like dying of the flu, yeah, he's telling you yeah, what to with do. a okay. bucket, you know, there without getting too graphic. And that was my first experience ever on the air under fire. And a couple of weeks later, they had somebody graduate from the college radio station and the advisor contacted me and go, Hey, do you want to come work at the radio station? 
At the time, I was washing dishes in the cafeteria. So I'm like, hmm, wash dishes, be on the radio. <laughs> I think I'll do the radio yeah. thing. And that was kind of my start. And I never really realized people got paid to do it. I never realized it was a career until I got out of school. I was back in my home uh, area of Detroit and heard an advertisement for a broadcasting school called Specs Howard, which many have gone to and graduated from. And went down, interviewed, and went, wow, you mean people actually get paid to do this? Now it's fun and you get paid to do it. I was all in, so I took the course, went to school at night, worked during the day. Eight months later, went out, got on my first job interview at WCER in Charlotte, Michigan, outside of Lansing. Mm-hmm. Nobody got hired on their first job, but I got hired. And uh, that was seven, uh, September of 1973, and I've been doing it ever since. Now, Okay, so you never knew that you could do that as a job, Mm-mm. but you always loved music. Always Were you loved drawn music. to instruments? Did you play instruments? My mom wanted me to learn how to play the piano. Back when I was growing up, Liberace played the piano. So I, you know, mm-hmm. no, no piano. Yeah. <laughs> Liberace wasn't cool. No, Liberace wasn't cool. <laughs> Neither was the accordion I ended up playing either. But, you know, Lawrence Welk was kind of cool at the time. So mm-hmm. I did accordion. So I can play one hand piano. Uh, so I learned how to play the accordion. I self taught myself how to play the guitar years later. But yeah, I, I, I just have always loved music. It's always been an integral part of me, like with many people. And it took me through the, the joys of life, the downsides of life, the in-betweens of life. Growing up as a as a teen, I used to listen to the radio at night all the time, like many. Supposed to be in bed, you know, and I'd have the earplug in my uh, one ear listening to the transistor radio. I've just, I've always loved music. Well, and I, I like that story just for the fact that I think when... When someone loves music, we automatically assume, well, then they need to play music. They need to make music. Mm-hmm. And that's not the direction you went. You no. go and start a band, learn a certain instrument, get on a worship team or whatever. You took a totally different, different I, I was in a in band radio. for a while, but my skills and my levels only got me so far. <laughs> and I realized this is probably not going to be my calling. Uh, I could never do the bridge chords on the guitar. I just never could seem to get it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so I could play basic chords, but to anything that you would need to do to really be a, you know, musician, it wasn't uh, it wasn't my thing. So uh, looking back now, I realized I didn't know it at the time, but God had a whole different path for me of what I was going to be doing. But you weren't serving God no. at the time, were you? Mm-mm. Tell me a little bit about that. Grew up in the church, left the church very dissatisfied in my late teens, early twenties. Thought it would be a short sabbatical. It ended up being a 35-year trip away from God Mm -hmm. uh, because then you start buying into the lies that the devil feeds you. You've gone too far. You've crossed too many lines, and God never is going to want anything to do with you. Mm -hmm. And so I believed it, and uh, I just didn't see a purpose in it. And then my father came down with Alzheimer's. I was angry at God. I have no siblings. I'm an only child, so uh, you know that from my yeah. spoiledness. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't understand why God would let this happen to this God of love that I'd heard about growing up as a kid and had experienced uh, in my early years, why all this is happening. And I, I prayed for the first time in a long time, and I didn't pray for healing. I knew that wasn't really feasible. I just asked God, bring peace to my family. And about a year, uh, about a month, I should say, after that, my dad quietly passed away. And when I said goodbye to my dad, I knew from all my teachings, the only way he and I would ever be together again, the only way I would ever see him again, would be to get my life back in order and get up back on the path. And so I made a vow to him. I would at least, 
I would make the best effort I could to get on that journey. And God directed that path. And and here I am. And you were working in country music. Yeah, I was doing secular radio all those years. So from 73 all the way up until 2005. Uh, yeah, I was doing everything from rock, hard rock, top 40 country. And at that time I was doing country when and all this happened. What transitioned do you then to Christian radio? Uh, actually, just uh, I, I really think... There's a song we play on Fuel right now that says, got to be God. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was it <laughs> for me. We got a new manager into the radio station I'd been at for seven years. Didn't see any reason why I was not going to continue to be there. And um, it was here in the uh, in the northern Michigan area, Traverse City area. From the time this guy came in, I went, oh, this is, this is not good. You know, I think my days are going to be numbered, whether it's a year, two years, whatever. And sure enough, he came in and, and uh, he wanted his own people. That's not uncommon. And so I found myself out of work. And I, you know, I thought it was really interesting because I certainly, of course, I went to God immediately and went, okay, God, let me understand this. <laughs> I'm now following you. I'm trying to lead my life the right way. And I lose my job. job. Yeah, this is really good. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I went and got a job. I I promised Jane we'd never move again from Traverse City area. Jane's your wife. Jane's my wife. But I promised her we'd never move again. And I got an opportunity to go to a number one uh, country station in Port Huron. Mm -hmm. And I said, what should I do? And she said, no, you know, you need to do this. It's okay. Take the job. So I went and I worked for four days. And came back the first weekend, and on the first weekend back, I had had a number of calls from people, because people had been praying for me. I was in a small group at the time, and we'd made all these contacts through church and stuff like that, and uh, so people were praying big time. And uh, I came home, and I had three people who wanted to talk to me, and I'm like, where were these people before I took the job? Four days ago. Yeah. (laughs) So I... uh, I, I spent that interview, uh, that weekend interviewing uh, WLJN, and Brian Harsey was one of those. Mm-hmm. But Brian had never hired anybody from secular radio. I had never done Christian radio. And we finally got to a point where, you know, you want to try this? And I'm like, no, I can't try it. Either I'm in or yeah. I'm not. Okay. And we just decided maybe the timing wasn't right. And I said, you know, so if God wants me to be here, I'll be here. So I accepted another uh, job opportunity at Sunny Country, worked there for about a year, almost two years. And uh, at that time, Evelyn Purdy left the the radio station here. They were looking for a a female replacement because she'd been here for 20 years. And I got the phone call, but it wasn't for me. It was for Jane. Uh, For your wife. Yeah. Yeah. Brian called me up and said, hey, uh, we're losing our only female voice. I know your wife used to do radio with you. Do you think she'd want to work on the station? And I was like, yeah, I guess so, you know. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, well, what about me? When I chopped yeah. the liver? So uh, I finally just, uh, I don't know. I think, again, got to be God. I think God gave me the boldness to say, hey, are you still interested in me at all? Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, I didn't know you were still interested. And that got the ball rolling. And a few weeks later, he hired both of us. That was almost 16 years ago. Now. How did you feel about leaving Christian or leaving country and going to Christian. I mean, did you want to leave? I was, uh, I I was, I was feeling conflicted. Uh, I had done country for a long time. There's a lot of great people in country. There are great uh, believers and uh, God followers in country. But on the other hand, their songs are about drinking and cheating and having a good time and the whole thing. And it just didn't seem like what I should be doing saying, I am a Christ follower but let's go out and fill up those red cups and drink all weekend long. So right. I was feeling conflicted. So I really believe God 
manipulated this, brought it around at the right time for me to do this. And I knew absolutely zero, zero about Christian music. I had heard the names of Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman. That was about my extent of what I knew of Christian radio. What did you think of Christian music? When you, because back then, well, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but even back then, it wasn't as good as it is today. Okay. What did you think? I thought I was going to be playing the Gaither Brothers all day long. That's that's kind of what and I... Praise the Lord you weren't. <laughs> I That's what I thought. I thought, but you know what? I, I said, this is what... This is what God wants me to do, and mm-hmm. uh, he wants me to use my talent for this, and we'll make it work. And it, it, Brian was at the point where they were wanting to make some changes formatically with the station, both music and other things, and thought my expertise in my years in radio, just radio period, would benefit some of the things we were going to do here. And I thought I could learn a lot about a, a whole field I didn't know anything about. So I thought it was going to be a great marriage, and it has been. It's been really great. Were you surprised at the Christian music that was out there? When I became a Christian, like, I didn't even know about Christian music. I mean, when I became a Christian, it was a whole new world. Yeah. I'd never heard of DC Talk and Toby no. Mac and Newsboy. I, I never heard of them. So were you surprised at some of the music that you came across? I was. Uh, when I was first starting my walk, a friend of mine uh, said, hey, I've got a CD I want you to listen to. Travis Tritt was a very popular country artist at the time. And they said, hey, the lead singer of this group sounds a little like Travis Tritt. They're both from the South. They've got an influence of uh, Leonard Skinnerd, and uh, they've kind of got that country rock sound. I think you might like it, and it's a Christian band. Like, sure, I'll listen to it. Give me a, I love listening to music. So it was a, a third day CD, and it was the CD called Wired. And I started listening to the CD, and I'm like, wow, this is Christian music? Mm-hmm. Uh, listened to it for a good week and took it back and said, hey, thanks for that. You got any more? And they gave me uh, the first Casting Crown CD. And I started yeah, listening to that. that's when they were first starting to get big. Right, yeah. And, of course, one of my conflicts with, like, was the hypocrisy that I thought was in the church sometimes. So I hear a song, if we are the body, then why aren't we doing these things? And I'm like, whoa, this is a Christian group calling out the church? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm I'm in. I'm on board, <laughs> you know. And then when I was waiting to, uh, we were waiting to find out if we had gotten the job. We knew that we were in the running, but we hadn't gotten the confirmation yet. But just to prepare ourselves, I'd heard about this music festival over in Gaylord. And I told Jane, let's go over to it and let's just, you know, let's see what the music's about. And I saw the Newsboys for the first time. And I see Peter Furler in the middle of the concert stop and just start preaching, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm watching the the spinning drums and I'm listening to all these songs and the breakfast song and I am free. And I'm going, okay, I can I can do this. Can do if this, this is it, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, that was like, God gave me like that confirmation. So here we are. So this is where you're at today, but now I want to get into kind of the nitty gritty of the business, but I also want to talk about how you just seem to have an ear for music. Mm -hmm. You just know, tell me those stories of when you were in country music, because even here at this station, when you were at the country music station, you're kind of the top guy that record record labels go to you. You're the one that people talk to. And I remember last summer we were at a live remote and you got a phone call. And then when you came back from the phone call, you're like, yeah, that was Matt Powell from Third Day. He's wanting to know if we can bring him in. I'm like, Matt Powell has your cell phone number and he's trying to get a hold of you. So people, you're the one that people go to. Tell me about when labels would contact you 
in country music about what songs they should release. Well, I didn't yeah. even know that they they contacted radio stations and asked their opinions. Yeah, they you know uh, radio is we always think it's entertainment. It is a business. There is a business side to it, as 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 there is with many things, and there's, and there's a, a good part of it, and there's an ugly side to it, like mm-hmm. with most things. But for the most part, it's good. Radio is uh, we're the little sampling. If you go to a restaurant and you see the sampler menu where they have four or five things that they have on their on their main plate, what radio is kind of that same thing. The radio, the we could not possibly play every song by every artist by every group because there just wouldn't be enough time in the day to do it. So what the labels do is they give us a little sampling one by one of their current project. I'll give you a perfect example for King and Country's most recent CD, "Burn the Ships." That's an album that's actually been out for the whole project over two and a half years, mm-hmm. and little by little we've been fed the various singles from that project. Uh, and now they have a new one coming out here in a couple of weeks, and it'll be the same thing. We will, we'll have right now the song we have with the song relate, but there will be three or four songs over the course of the next couple of years that they'll release from that over time. And most songs, if they have a success of reaching the number one spot or the top five, they got a, a shelf life of about twenty six to twenty eight weeks uh, from the time they're released to the time people are going. Okay, we've we've had enough. We're Let's over give it. us something yeah. else. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, that works out about right. So a couple songs per year, some some are faster than that, but that's the average. But uh, early in my career, uh, people found out I was a music lover and that, that I just seemed to have an ear for finding songs, sometimes songs that I didn't even know were going to be future releases. So it got to the point where there were a number of us when I was doing country, there were probably about 12 of us across the country who the labels would contact and say, hey, we just want to get a perspective. These are the songs we're thinking of releasing. Mm-hmm. Put a little period of ear to them and see what you think. And the 12 of us would listen to them. We're like, uh-uh, maybe, maybe one of those. But these are the songs we're hearing. We're listening not as ourselves. We're listening as what we think our audience is going to, to like. We would find out that 90% of the time we were right on the button. And so that became a thing more and more. And now that has transitioned here into Christian music as well, where um, a perfect example last year with the song My Jesus by Ann Wilson. The minute I heard that song, I went, I don't know who this young lady is, but this is a great song. Yeah. And this is a song that right now is going to impact a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to have the confirmation that, well, they're not known, whatever. A good song is a, a good song. A great song is a great song. And, and they stand out and they have... They have life and they have uh, impact with people. And God has just given me that ear to thankfully be able to hear that. And that's what I find so fascinating is that you can hear a song and you just know. You just know it's your God-given gift that that's going to hit number one. And Ann Wilson's song did. I mean, that was, she wasn't she the first brand new female artist to hit number one yeah. with her very first song? Yeah. It's been, it's always kind of fun. I listen to, we have two countdown shows, one on Fuel FM, one on WLJN, and I listen to them both. Both of them have, now here are the upcoming songs that we see as future hits. And I always think it's kind of funny because they're a little behind. You disagree? Well, no, most of the time we've been two to three weeks ahead oh. already playing the song. And now we're they're kind of giving us confirmation of like, yeah, these are the songs we think are going to be big songs. And again, more times than not, it's like, oh, yeah, we're already playing that. That's so, you know, it's just kind of confirmation of we're on the money again. They all don't work out that way. There are songs you think are great songs that are going to do fantastic. And... 
They don't. Some song takes longer. Jordan St. Cyr's song, Fires, took over almost almost two years to finally get a hold where the audience said, man, we want to hear this song. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a very, very slow build on that particular song. But it was a great song. And now, uh, because of that, now he's having great success with his current song, Weary Traveler, which became his very first number one song. But to think about the message of that song and where we've been, all of us, in the last couple of years, are we not weary travelers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are we not thinking, man, Lord, we've, we're just worn out? Yeah. Uh, and I love songs like that that not only myself but listeners can identify with. Well, and I think with you, too, you do listen to the words. Most people don't listen to the words. Oh, yeah. And I think because you actually take the time to not just listen to the beat but the words, you are making connections with music that maybe other people aren't. I love fun songs. And sometimes, you know, we get really deep philosophical songs and they're great songs. They're good songs, but sometimes they're a little too deep for the audience. And the toughest part about my job as a, as a music director, which is part of my overall job is to not listen as DC. I I have to listen as a potential listener. How is the listener going to react to this song? Not me personally, because I have a lot of songs I put on the radio that you know, they're maybe not my personal favorites, but I think the listeners are going to respond to them. Why Me, Lord by uh, Austin French was one that I mean, a really deep, powerful song dealing with, you know, the question of people often asking, why, Lord, why why do bad things happen to good people? But sometimes that's a little cl- cl- too close to home or the song itself was a little too deep and it never quite, never quite got there. But it was a great, a great song. But Sometimes they're just, they are lyrically a little bit too deep for some people to grasp in three minutes and 30 seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to secular radio and then I'll yeah. talk about Christian in, in just a minute. But how has radio or just music in general changed over the years? I mean, you've been in it for 50 years. Yeah. You have been through the Beatles <laughs> and Michael Jackson and all of, all of the people. How has it changed? In Christian radio, from the time I've gotten here, it was it was good. It was starting to grow and develop. I mean, talking like the beginning of casting crowns and groups like that. I've seen it just continue to get better and better. I remember when I first got into it, and I was very offended by it. There were people, and I, I get it, people don't like change. They were the seven words, seven lyrics, you know, uh, seven lines repeated over and over and over and over again. I'm like, no, it's some of them are more than that. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of what songs are, right? I mean, there is a chorus and there's a bridge. And I could go back and take standard hymns that I sang as a kid. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. You know, well, that's very repetitive. And they sing that chorus over and over again. Nobody complains about that. Mm -hmm. But then they would complain about some of the current worship songs. And I think it was more because they didn't like the change that was happening Mm -hmm. more than Mm -hmm. the actual song itself. But uh, yeah, I've seen, I think, we're in a great place right now because uh, there is such a vast variety of music. And that's what I love. It's the kind of music when I first got into radio and top 40 radio, I was telling you this a little bit yesterday off air that I could literally play a James Taylor or Carly Simon song one minute. And two songs later, I'm playing the Led Zeppelin and Mm -hmm. two songs later, I'm playing Creedence Clearwater Revival. And two songs later, I'm playing a Beatles song. And and, I mean, talk about just a variety of different styles, but it all meshed together. And that's kind of what I think where we're at right now, where you have a lot of different styles, got some great worship 
leaders and worship songs that come out. We've got some kind of pop songs that come out. We've got some that have a little bit of, I mean, Ann Wilson and Rhett Walker and uh, Zach Williams have a little country flavor to theirs. And then you have uh, Toby, who's got the hip hop kind of style. So I, I think we're in a in a really great place, and there are just more coming. Mm-hmm. I think I would definitely agree that Christian radio is and Christian music is probably the best it's ever been. Yeah, the fact that you can get that country feel with Zach Williams, but then you can have the harder rock stuff as like Skillet. Yeah, and but secular radio is not like that really anymore you have the specific dramas i mean like you said you would have leonard skinner one minute and carly simon then you have all these different bands but how has that changed over the years what have you seen from Uh, the 80s and the 90s and yeah well they they, what they've done is they've divided so they've kind of clustered all the similar type of music together so now you have the light rock stations so you have all the light rock what they call light rock ballads so even though maybe they were a rock band of Aerosmith or, or Journey, they would take all those ballad songs and go, okay, that's light rock. Mm-hmm. We're not going to play Don't Stop Believing," but we'll play, you know, this one. <laughs> yeah. and, and so they've subdivided now the kind of the categories. So we've got, uh, you know, more heavy rock, and then we've got light rock. We've got still kind of the pop top 40 thing. We've got R&B. We've got R&B and rap or urban and rap. So they've classified rather than blending it all together compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. There was just one format before that was it well and you talked to me earlier about kind of a formula some labels try and do i mean over the years we act like the newest band is something brand new i mm-hmm. mean when the beatles came on and now okay granted when the beatles came on the scene yes they were different but when i look at radio or music today and there's like the newest hot artist and we're going, oh, my gosh, they're fresh and they're so different. But to me, it just seems like they're just a recyclement of the hot artist that was 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and for example, Menudo. Mm-hmm. Menudo was the 70s, right? right. Yeah. Okay, so you had Menudo. I wasn't around in the 70s, but I was around during New Kids on the Block. Yeah. I mean, that was the band. And then my late teens was NSYNC and, and Backstreet Boys. And then you had One Direction. But it's the same formula. Right. Are they just trying to recycle the same formula to keep the younger generation. Well, uh, some of the some of the people who have been in the business, the behind the scenes people, the the managers, the the heads of the record labels, they've been there for a long time too, and they see a success and they're starting looking there's there's not very often the next new thing. There's just something that worked before. Same way that kind of clothing comes back around. Yeah. Music styles come back around too. Mm-hmm. And uh so you see something that kind of worked and then it seems like once one label has it, now we got to have three or four other similar groups like that. I remember when we did Country and when the Dixie Chicks first came out, you know, this very hot three female singing group. I loved the you know. Dixie Chicks back in the 90s. Well, pretty soon, you know, now every label had a three-girl group mm. that was coming out. And, you know, there was there was Shadaisy and there was all these other ones that were, you know, kind of copycat. That's not uncommon. Uh, I think one good thing about Christian music is I don't see as much of that in our format. Uh, I see some real originality. But I think what's interesting, we always talk about, hey, we got this new artist most of these artists aren't new. They're new to us. Mm-hmm. They've been out working on their craft for a long time. They've just happened to get developed right now. You start talking to them. Well, I've been working at this for three, four, five years, some longer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So very few of them are new. They're just new to us and that they finally had something that was either good enough, strong enough that they were signed by a label or uh, got their got their music out. Well, they say it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> so it's these not, people have been not, working really hard. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. still working at it. So, <laughs> How has, I mean, you've alluded to it a little bit, but Christian music has really changed a lot. Yeah. Do you think that when Christian music first started coming out, I mean, the 80s, they had Petra, they had Striper, and they were really trying hard to be to reach unbelievers, really. Right. But I think there was a lot of pushback from the Christians. There was. I, you know, I watched uh, the uh, the movie that was out not too long ago about the Jesus music. Mm-hmm. And that was really educational to me because I didn't know some of that early stuff. I didn't know how it began and how it transitioned. I was actually around when the Jesus movement happened, when all this was happening. So, mm-hmm. I mean, historically, I can look back and go, oh, you know, because uh, there was a revival part that I, I went through for a, a bit when I was in college before I walked away from uh, the Lord. And it was about that same time when the Jesus freak thing was going on. And, and so I realized seeing this movie, wow, I was part of that and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> but I can remember at that time a little of this music that I now had forgotten about coming out at the time. And, and I was like, okay, uh, that makes sense. There was there was a, a time they were they were really trying to reach, they were trying to disciple and reach the, the unbeliever. And that's a that's where it is. it's a big thing with me right now because I see this as God giving me the opportunity to reach out to the D.C. of 30 years ago, mm-hmm. who was far from God, who didn't believe it but had a passion for music. Uh, you know that I've got this sign that my Jane gave to me that I have in my office at home, and it says, music is what feelings sound like. Yeah. And I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, music is so much a part of many of our lives, even when we're, I mean, picture a nice summer day here in Northern Michigan and you got the, uh, you know, you got the top down or you got the windows down and you got your favorite song. You're just cranking it, singing it to the top of your lungs, whether it's a Christian song and maybe it's still an old favorite secular song, which many of us still have. Nonetheless, that feeling is evoked by that music, that song. It, It projects a memory, something maybe good or whatever. I think that's what the, the musicians of today are trying to do. They're they're not trying to become of this world. They're just trying to put something out there that says this may be similar to what you've listened to, but as you're beginning, as God is trying to impact you to make a change in your life and head in another direction, mm-hmm. you can still have something that maybe you've been accustomed to listening to. Well, let me tell you, the lyrics and everything you're going to listen to are, are much better than anything you've ever listened to before. And they're going to keep you on the path and they're going to help you stay focused and they're going to encourage you. So many of the songs do that. And we get pushback sometimes. People say, well, there wasn't Jesus in that in that song at all. Well, let me ask you, have you ever talked about Jesus every moment of every day to everybody you talked about? Right. No. And sometimes those songs are about a feeling or an emotion that we can deal with. Maybe it is loss. Maybe it is feeling lonely, whatever. We all have, we all go through those emotions. Those songs can help either take us through or get us to get us through it or get us to a better place or draw us closer to the Lord. Think of some of the great worship songs over the past few years that have left us just weeping. I mean, we've had listeners call and tell us, and I've had it happen to myself, where you hear a song and you just have to pull over the side of the road because you're just broken. Mm-hmm. What a powerful thing that God has given with us with his music as an instrument to people to listen to and say, you know, 
Uh, I may not be a real churchy person, but man, I love listening to your radio station because it just makes me feel so much better. That's all we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to, to, to show people that there is a different path. It's not our job necessarily to save them. It's just to show them there is a path and God will take care of the rest of it. We're just trying to get them in the door, mm-hmm. build that relationship. Mm-hmm. I like what you said too, that we're not trying to be like the world no. creating our music. No. God doesn't care how you worship him as long as he's being worshiped. Yeah. And I've noticed too, in the past few years, I think Hillsong really paved the way, but you're noticing a lot of worship teams releasing their music and releasing their labels, Red Rocks worship, Elevation worship. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that that's coming about all of a sudden? I, I just think it, it does tend to seem to be a trend right now, but worship music has become a big part of, of, of this whole music scene right now along with that. And, you know, there are, are even individual artists who are part of worship teams. A lot of people don't realize uh, Phil Wickham is a worship leader. Oftentimes when he's not on the road, he's back at his home church uh, leading worship. How cool would that be to walk into church and <laughs> listen to Phil Wickham? Phil Wickham's you your know? worship leader. Yeah, yeah. you know. There's a song that really struck me big this last year uh, called I Speak Jesus. And uh, man, that just song just broke me out by a, a group called King's Porch. This is a, a group of people who collectively gather together and worship in a home. And they do all their worship there. And that song came out of that. So it comes from a lot of different places. But again, I think... Uh, Worship is worship and praise is a big part of this whole uh, movement right now. Something that's become popular. It, it's striking a chord with a lot of people, and, and I think it's successful because people want more of it. They mm-hmm. go, oh, "Man, I need this as part of my day." Uh, mm-hmm. Worship shouldn't be and isn't just about Sunday or Saturday whenever you choose to worship. It's about all throughout the week, day by day. And so what better way to do that than have that worship music available where you can be singing at the top of your lungs, graves into gardens or whatever it is uh, throughout the throughout the week. Music is incredibly powerful. Do you know the effects that it has on it? Because I'm one of those people. I like to know the why. Yeah. Not just let's talk about it, but why does this happen? And so it blows my mind that giving up music is really difficult because music, it it just has that hold on you. When I first became a Christian, I was still hooked on secular music for a long time. And God really had to convict me to pull me. And not that I don't bust out a Matchbox 22 once in a while, you know, or Matchbox Matchbox 20 every once in a while. But he was convicting me to give up secular music and give up country music to listen to Christian music full time. And that was really hard. In the past, working with teenagers, that seems to be one of the hardest things that they have. It's not don't have sex until you're married. It's not the the drugs. Some of the hardest things for them is getting on track with music that builds them up and inspires them and yeah. encourages them instead of the stuff that's talking about sin and bringing them down. Why is that? I mean, what does that do in our brains? Well, there, you know, there have been studies over the years that show that, you know, music has an effect on us. There are those endorphins and all of that that make us feel better about ourselves through, you know, through music. Studies have shown here recently that people who are dealing with uh, Alzheimer's and uh, dementia, they may not, their short-term memory may not remember certain things, but you bring music to them mm-hmm. and they'll start singing along with their song. And uh, Jane's been in a close situation with that. And 
All she has to do is break out You Are My Sunshine and the whole group of people will start singing the whole song. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 again, it's a memory. It's, it's a pleasant thing that they have. That strikes a chord emotionally in the brain. It just hits home for so many people. And I think because of that, it is something that we hold on to really, really tightly and you know, really dearly. And people feel very strong about it one way or the other. Uh, either they love it, they hate it, but it, there's a strong emotion to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of strong emotion, I want <laughs> to talk Super Bowl. And I know Super Bowl was a while ago now, but yeah. it struck a huge chord with people my age, people that are in their 30s and 40s. I, I remember right after the halftime show, getting on Facebook and it was everybody under 30s going, who are those people? Like having no idea who they are. Everybody over 50 is saying, this is the worst performance ever. And all of us that were raised in the 90s were going, oh my gosh, that was the best thing on the planet. Like everybody was so excited. And even leading up to Super Bowl, I have never seen so much excitement for a halftime show. Now, obviously, I mean, when 50 Cent came on with Half Naked Girls, I thought that was terrible. Like, did we really need that? Yeah. But even though I didn't listen to that music in the 90s, I remember that those were my junior high dances. They were playing Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and even at prom. I mean, that was the music that that was playing on the radio that I listened to. That was the era. That was that was my quote unquote era. Yeah. What was it that got us so excited that? These people from our teenage years were performing at the half. I mean, we just we flipped out. Well, it was that thing. It was that these are my people, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we everybody feels very strongly about their music. I've I've gotten into many uh, discussions with many people. Those of us who grew up in the uh, in the late 60s through the 70s argue that there was there was never any better music. Mm-hmm. And, and the only thing that I would say for that, I think every era has its own music, but. I don't think that many of the groups from the 80s, the 90s, they're not going to have the 20, 30, 40 year careers that you've seen many of the bands mm-hmm. from from that era that I grew up in have. You know, mm-hmm. the uh, you know, the who'd played the halftime show not all that many years ago. And it was it was spectacular. And people either, again, who didn't know them or did know them said, this is great, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think we've had a lot of those Super Bowls like that. You had to be under a rock and you didn't know Michael Jackson, but still, you know, Michael's performances, every era they've they've tried to. And as as the Super Bowl has moved farther and farther along, I think now they've tried to make sure they're covering all their bases with certain eras of music. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is look at some of the performers over the recent years. But, yeah, I, I think, again, that everybody in in your age demographic or from that era goes oh those are those are my peeps i i identify with that mm-hmm. those who were older than that i, I remember i got a, a text from a couple of people and, and they're going can you believe this halftime show and <laughs> and I, my first comment was well it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be right same you know yeah and then i got responses like are you kidding me and, and i'm like <laughs> well it's not i i did i expected it to be worse yes like in the past Right. It was actually one of the cleanest right. ones I've ever seen. But I mean, for instance, then again, in my mind, I'm going, yeah, but no, you know, Snoop Dogg is not Snoop Dogg from your era. Yeah. Snoop Dogg's now doing commercials with Marsha Stewart on TV, right? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Uh, so he's he's almost become like this mainstream pitch person. And I'm like, hmm, that, that's interesting, mm-hmm. you know? But again, uh, you've got people who are trying to reach an age demographic, and this is who they identify with. So 
who are they going to use as their pitch person? Paul McCartney? No. Yeah. You know, they're going to use somebody who they want to reach from that era. So they use Snoop or, or other people. My only thing with the halftime show was I thought, like you, it's like when 50 Cent came on with all the girls twerking. And I'm thinking, what a contradiction, because here are the women, where are the women in the women's group going, you know, we want to be treated like human beings, not like objects. And then you get all these scantily clad women twerking and I'm like going, objects, yeah. and I'm like, okay, why is nobody complaining about this? That was mm-hmm. my, my, my big conflict. I, I just, in my mind, I'm, I have a logical brain. So my, yeah, it's very hard for me to, to get beyond, okay, A is B, B is C, that equals the sum. And, right. and. It's either one way or it is it. There's no double speak. Either if this is what you stand for, then you should be rallying out against this or not, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, that hypocrisy, again, is is one for me in so many things. Mm-hmm. If it's not the same way, it's like, okay, either it is or it isn't. Yeah. 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 And I think you're right. They were, they were reaching our feelings. Yeah. But how, I mean, all of those songs, back being a teenager from the 90s, Every one of those songs invokes a specific feeling because it came on at a certain moment, whether it was I had a crush on a boy and that was the number one song that I clung to or whether I was having a hard time in math class and that was the song I clung to. It brings back those feelings from when we were a kid. And And I also think, too, I feel like and I could be wrong. I feel like it was the first time that it did try and reach our demographic because it always seemed that it was trying to either hit. Those that were a lot older or those that were a lot younger. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I think there was a concerted effort to do that. And again, I'm one of those God wired me this way. I could listen to the music objectively and go, you know, that's kind of catchy. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's not really my thing, but yeah. I mean, if you take, if you just strip it away, listen to all the music, Mm -hmm. uh, don't look at what the people look like, whatever, just take all that away, shut your eyes, listen to the music and go, yeah. I can see why people like this. It's not mm-hmm. my thing, but this is kind of catchy, you mm-hmm. know. My dad and I used to have horrific arguments about it because we we just never could come to terms that dad could only envision, as much as I love my dad, dad could only envision what they looked like. If mm-hmm. the hair was too long or they had a certain look, they were they were bad. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but listen to them. I mean, the, listen to the song, you know. Mm-hmm. I've always been that way. My my parents have always thought I was a little strange because I, I've told you this. I, they would come by my room and one minute I've got, you know, Zeppelin or Black Sabbath on and I'm, you know, got it just rocking out. And then a half an hour later, I'm listening to Sinatra and Tony Bennett. And, you know, people are going, my mom and dad are like, <laughs> what is wrong with this boy? But my mood changed. You know, I yeah. wanted to hear something different. And I, I, I've always learned to appreciate Good music, no, no matter where it's from. And that's kind of what I have to do in my job. I, I have to be very objective and, again, not listen as me, but say, this is just good music. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was able to do that a little bit with the Super Bowl, close my mind to what I was actually looking at and going, okay, you know, I, I can understand why this group from this generation liked this music. Do you think that's why people cling to certain bands when they first come on the scene because they somehow connect with them on a personal level? Like, okay, when the Beatles came out, I mean, they were just the hottest thing ever. And nobody was like, I don't understand. I wasn't around back then. But what was it about the Beatles? People still connect with them today. There was something about him. You just learned that they were groundbreaking. They were, I, I told yeah, you Yeah, that's the perfect word. Why were they groundbreaking? The music up until that time had been, they, they did something rather unique in that they fused 
Uh, Elvis had done this a little bit, but they fused a lot of different music styles. And they actually, in some of their recordings, they took old uh, Memphis blues songs and things like that. They did it, and so did the Stones. They kind of morphed them into more contemporary songs. The songs are still the same. I mean, the note for note written how they were, lyrics are the same. But they morphed them into these really contemporary, you know, pop songs. And you're going, wow, how cool is that? And, And everything else up to that time had been, I don't know, very vanilla, very blah, and all of a sudden this, you know, very, it was a combination of it all. The looks, the fact that they were coming over from England, which was a hot thing back at that time. Mm -hmm. It was very, very groundbreaking. And then they continued just from that day on to continue to lead. I mean, you know, I, I love golf in the same way that over the years, Arnold Palmer in golf started to really make golf popular with the American public and then Jack Nicholas and then Tiger Woods and now the new group of golfers who are kind of coming out now. And it was the same way then. The Beatles, the Stones, and that whole British invasion changed everything, opened up the doors for so many styles, so many sounds, so many different things. And it's carried on now through through all these years, you know, 50, well, year, 50 80s, years. You know. In the 80s, Michael Jackson came on the scene and yeah. all of a sudden it was a different feel than what everybody was used to. Well, and he morphed from what he had been with the Jackson 5 mm-hmm. and being the front person there. It was still Michael. He was still the front person. He was still the one doing all the singing. But now he morphed from that into Michael at Billy Jean and then Michael into, you know, down the road mm-hmm. and uh, with Thriller and all the others. And, and the good artists continue to grow and develop and evolve. Mm-hmm. And we even see that in our Christian artists of what they started out being. If you listen to, go back and listen to Crave, the first album by For King and Country, and listen to Burn the Ships, well, you can see the growth. I didn't realize it. I mean, do you realize that For King and Country have been out 10 years now? 10 years. And that's funny because I don't think I really knew who they were because now that I work in radio, I'm able to figure out who's who. But before being in radio, I just listened to the radio. You just like songs. I didn't yeah. know all the For King and Country songs. Yeah. And as I started working at the station, I'm going, oh, that's a For King and Country song? I had no idea. I knew all the words yeah. because I'd sang it in the car, but I never paid attention to who it was. I always got Colton Dixon and Danny Gokey mixed up. Couldn't tell you what's... Uh, Mercy Me and Casting Hairstyles were very different. <laughs> yes, the <this, laughs> hairstyles were very different. <laughs> but now that I'm immersed in the music, I'm able to do, differentiate who is who. Yeah. So, yeah, it does shock me that For King and Country has been around for for 10 years. But then you have, I think some of the best artists are the ones that are willing to learn and grow and grow with the people. So you have the Beatles that were around for a really long time and their music was very different from when they started out to when they ended. Elton John, the same thing. It's just he he's had that longevity because he has learned and grown with his audience. And even in Christian music, even though Christian music Technically, isn't that old? Right. You can tell the ones that have learned who their audience is and have learned to grow, like Skillet. Skillet is probably, they have their skin in the game. They're the ones that if you want, if you want to learn something from, that would be the first artist I would go to because they've really been around the longest. Yeah. And John Cooper's the real deal. I mean, you know, he's, 
It's so funny. Uh, we, we're talking to Jason, one of our staff of people here and on-air personalities, and went to Winter Jam and got a chance to meet them. And, you know, on stage here, again, they're this rocking, you know, element. And backstage, they're actually pretty quiet, everyday, normal mm-hmm. people. And they, again, they get on stage and they become their performers and their persona. And many of our artists are, are like that. That's one of the things I really enjoy about them, that they're real people going through real stuff, just like all of us, mm-hmm. uh, believers, uh, believers, all of them. And yet they're, they're still having to deal with the many things that we have. And then they've got the extra additional hurdle that as humans, we want to, we can't help it. It's part of our DNA. We want to put people on pedestals. We want to look up to them. And, and that's a very fine line they have to walk in that, uh, to not get so caught up in themselves and who they are that, uh, the whole perspective of what they're trying to do, the ministry maybe they're trying to do, the fact that, no, it's not me, it's 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 him that gives mm-hmm. me the capability of doing this. And the same way that I get always asked, well, you know, how did you get that, how did you get that voice or how did you develop? I don't know. God gave me the voice. And, <laughs> you do have a good radio voice. <laughs> and uh, I hear other people and I go, man, if I had that voice. Right. And yet other people tell me, no, man, you've got such a unique voice. And I don't hear it in myself, but other people tell me and I, I respect the fact that they think that but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting just to see how all the groups the artists continue to grow and how God is continuing to, to use this I, I it's I'm fascinated by how God uses the music uh, the industry the media for his purpose I think it's I think it's incredible one last portion yeah I want to talk a little bit about the ugly yeah you talked about formulas yeah are you starting to see, and you touched on it a little bit, but are you starting to see formulas or do we, or do you think we're going to start seeing more formulas in Christian music? Uh, sadly, a little bit. I mean, we just recently went through a big change. Uh, there was another change that happened a few years back and we just went through another one in that one of the big record label, not record label, one of the big record company that the companies use, radio stations use, Billboard magazine. Most people have heard about them. You've seen the Billboard Music Awards, maybe on TV. Billboard's a big, uh, they're a big front runner. They control a lot of the charts and they let us know what's happening. And they recently dropped what they call the Hot AC CHR format, Contemporary Hits Radio format, for Christian radio. Uh, there had been a a Christian rock chart at one time. Mm-hmm. They dropped that. We saw it probably coming. We were hoping that it wouldn't happen, but just at the end of 2021 here, they dropped the Hot AC CHR format. So now there's basically two formats. There's what they call the monitored, which means all the radio stations around the country that are monitored. And then there's the indicator. They're the ones who are a little more contemporary, a little more uh, front and center on early on running their, who they're going to play and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the business side of it is beginning to take over that. Uh, I think Billboard and some of the labels would like for it all just to be one format, one sound. And I think that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen Mm -hmm. because it takes away a lot of styles of music that certain adult contemporary Christian radio stations, they're just not going to play it. Mm -hmm. They're just not. Mm -hmm. What a shame that those artists don't get to expose their ministry and their, their worship and, you know, their whole ideas. Again, all that music that evokes those things with us. One that comes to mind, Apollo LTD, they're just a, a couple of great guys with great songs they connect with people and they're just starting to come into their own and they don't get played on WLJN or mm-hmm. Christian radio, regular Christian AC radio stations, but they've been very popular on 
how do you see CHR formats like Fuel FM and others across the country? And now where do they go? What happens to their, their music? And what a shame. Do you think, well, you talked about, we, we had talked yesterday about Evan Kraft. Yeah. And he has that Spanish feel. Si. Do you do you think <laughs> do you think that you're going to start seeing more Christian artists that are bringing Spanish feel because I, it's I, working? You know, Evan's a very unique. Uh, for those who don't know the story, a very unique thing. And a lot of people think, oh, this guy who's doing these songs and made his kind of made his uh, notch in Hispanic radio, Christian radio, is is Hispanic. Uh, he's not. He found this niche and well, here's a way I can get my music out. And so he learned to speak Spanish mm-hmm. and and did all of his songs that way. And now his talents are being discovered as what they are, that, hey, this guy, whether he speaks Spanish or sings in Spanish or not, really is talented, really writes some great songs. And uh, his current song, I just like to say it because, you know, desesperado. I mean, <laughs> I it, you know, I, I love that. And, and there have been some, if you look back, there have been some groups that have kind of played with that uh, a little bit over the the years talking about the history of Christian music but it's been it's been a while since we've had some sounds like that so yeah I think I think there's two areas we're going to see more of I think we're going to see more of the kind of the country crossover country pop sound mm-hmm. like Zach Williams and Rhett Walker and and Ann Wilson even has that to a certain degree in her music mm-hmm. I think you're going to see more of that and then I think you're going to see more of the uh, Hispanic blending in when you talk about the drop with the billboard and the formulas, do you think that's why a lot of people that are in the industry, because it does seem like it's just turning more into a business mm-hmm. versus, and there's nothing wrong with having a business side. You obviously have to have the accountants and you have to have all the things. Yeah. But do you think that's why so many people, whether it's Christian or whether it's secular, are leaving the industry because they don't feel that they can use their creativity. Uh, I, I think so. And, and what you're starting to see is more artists are taking control of their own careers because when you have a label oversee what you're doing, they're financially invested. I'm sure it's changed, but it used to be, I know in country, uh, there was a cost of to put out a project for somebody, you know, about a half a million dollars just to invest to get that first project out between management and A&R and just all the different things you need to do to bring that person or that group to light. It's a big investment. And then, of course, they they want that back, either in sales or downloads. It used to be sales of CDs. Well, that's gone further and further away. So now it depends on if you're downloading their music. Mm -hmm. And I think there's great things about the way the system is now is that uh, you don't have to buy the full CD. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, I you like can being able to buy just you go song. in there and say, I like this one, this one, this one, this one. And, you know, you can download one. You can create your own you library. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very affordable and, and it works for everybody. Um, the other thing you're seeing in the trend, you see the, uh, the, the term EP on a lot of things, which, uh, you know, stands for electronic print, which means it's not actually out in a hard copy. It's just available for download. Mm-hmm. And it's a way, again, to kind of throw it against the wall and see if it sticks to see if people like it, don't like it mm-hmm. without a big investment. So they can have an EP that only has maybe three or four songs on it. And they, the the labels, uh, whoever it is, get a, gets a great feel of, wow! I think I think these people are going to stick. And what you ha- what you'll see oftentimes, it starts off with an EP. The EP becomes successful, mm-hmm. and then they come back and go, "Hey, give us a full project now because we people are wanting your more of your music." Mm-hmm. And so they start with an EP, and then they come back, and you'll find maybe those three or four songs now on the on the full project. And I think the, with the advancement of technology 
you don't always necessarily have to have that label. No, I uh, there's a guy. There are more I, and more independents. Uh, there now. are a lot more independents, and they're do they're becoming successful. Yeah. There's a guy I follow on TikTok. His name is Drew Jacobs, and I've shared some of his songs with yeah. him. He'll do covers. He'll take country it. songs, and he'll he'll make them out to be rock songs. And he went to Nashville to quote unquote make it, and they told him, "You're never going to make it. You will never be a success." So he does things on his own. He makes his own music videos, and they're very good, well done quality videos. And his songs have been number one on Apple. Yeah. And he didn't. He didn't need the. I'm sure it was a lot harder without the label, but he was able to be creative. And with the technology that we have. Well, Billboard isn't the only one who wants to make everything vanilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, uh, there are a lot of uh, radio stations who have been made vanilla because there's a thing called radio consultants. And a radio consultant, in my definition, is supposed to be that. they In, in the early days, they were hired because of their expertise to give us their opinion about what they thought might need to be changed at a radio station. And then it was up to us to determine yeah, we'll take, uh, that's a great suggestion. We're going to take that and we're going to take that and we're going to nix the others because we don't think that'll work for our market. The problem is the consultants now have become the overseers of so many radio stations, especially big conglomerate radio stations, not just in the Christian field, in country, in pop, in in so many. And now they're not, they're not consulting any longer, though they're called consultants. They are telling the stations, here's what you play. So the people within the station, people like in my position, the music directors, don't make the decisions any longer. They're told, here's what you're going to play. And so everybody's playing the same thing, doing the same thing, saying the same thing. And what made radio so great to me, all the creativeness or much of the creativeness is being taken out of it now. We're all doing the same thing, playing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when you find something unique, and I'll use the example of you know our station, Fuel FM, what many people love about fuel, uh, we get people listening across the country or downstate, and they're going Brazil. We've had people I've, in Brazil that listen to I, us. I've been looking for a station like this, and mm-hmm. this is so unique. I, I can't find this anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Even WLJN gets that to a certain extent, where they go, "It's very different from what else is out there." And I take great pride in that, and that we're a part of that, and that people are are loving the fact that they realize, yeah, this is this is different. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's that's one thing in the business that uh, the, the the business world would like to see us. Let's just all do it the same way, and it's easier for everybody that way. Uh, I am amazed because this is a music business. Music is our it's our main commodity, or one of our main commodities, and I find so many of my fellow people in the industry. And I hear this from my my different record labels who talk to me. They call me and they know that I'm going to have listened to the music, that, that we can have a conversation. What do you think about the new song coming out by so-and-so? And I can say, oh, I think it's great. Yeah, we're going to play it. Uh, it's not, it's not as, I don't like it as well as I liked the last one. I can give them an opinion. It's amazing how many of my fellow cohorts, they don't even listen to their own music. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's their job. That's yeah. part of what they do. And I can't believe, it's hard to believe they don't have that same passion mm-hmm. to say, well, this is my product. Yeah. Um, but they don't. And if there's anything that the devil's going to use to break this industry down and break this ministry down that we have, a ministry of music, it'll be that. DC, I thank you so much for being with me today, but I want to end with the Alan Jackson story. <laughs> Will you tell us about 
back in the day yeah. at an Alan Jackson concert? Uh, I've, I've been very blessed to be able to do a lot of things in, in my radio career and, and be with many performers who are really great people. And Alan Jackson was one of those, still is, uh, been a leader in the country music field back, started in the Brown 90 and all through the 90s, and even today, he's still very popular. But I was at a show here in Michigan, and I got contacted by a, a mother who said, my my daughter is a big fan of Alan Jackson's. Uh, she's blind. Mm-hmm. And is there any way we could possibly meet him? Well, I have to admit, I was a little skeptical because we get a lot of those. Yes. And, and so I had to make sure this was legit. But once I made sure it was legit, I'm like, yeah, let's make this happen. We made the contact. I had them stay back because I wanted them to be the last ones that Alan had a chance to meet. Mm -hmm. So we got up at the end of the line, and I said, Alan, uh, this is a very special young lady. Introduced her, said uh, uh, she's wanted to meet you so bad, and we wanted to make that happen. Alan is a very tall, lanky, he's like six foot four, very slow southern drawl from Georgia, and he's he's very polite, you know, says, well, you know, thank you very much. Glad to have you here. (laughs) And, and... The mother said, could I ask a favor? She said, the way my daughter sees is with her hands. Could you just kneel down so she can feel your face? I'm already starting to cry. <laughs> I'm starting to lose it because Alan says, well, sure, I can do, I can do that. So he mm-hmm. kneels down, all six foot four of him, and the young girl starts feeling around his face and his mustache and his hair. And the smile, I'll never forget the smile on her face. It just, it lit up the room. How old was she? She had to be maybe eight, eight or nine. And we get done. Alan's crying. I'm crying. <laughs> you know, mom's crying. Uh, uh, but the, but the young lady, it, it was, it was her moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget that to, to my grave. I'll, uh, just uh, Alan and I talked about, I said, well, that had to be like the highlight of uh, of your of your day. He goes, my day, my year. You know, yeah. the fact that they get to do that and and share those moments with people and make special moments, pretty cool. And I've been so blessed that God has given me so many of those opportunities over the year. But that that's always a favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, and thank you so much for for talking with me today. Because, Glad to. Well, your uniqueness, the fact that you can, you know a hit is going to be a hit. You just have that ear. And I find that so fascinating. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for that. being a part of the team. Thanks for joining us. And uh, hey, thanks for inviting me to do this. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Thank you for joining DC and I on that conversation. There is so much behind the scenes when it comes to music, and it's fascinating to learn more about it from those that are veterans. Don't forget to download, share, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you right back here next week.